Hello, welcome to episode 45 of Meraki Unboxed. Great to have you back with us once again. My name is Simon Thompson, host of the show. Hopefully you're a subscriber. Do have a look on your podcast app. If you're not, there's a button there. It says subscribe. We'd love to have you joining us every couple of weeks for the content that we put out here. We cover all kinds of topics from the technology itself, sometimes getting quite into the weeds on the tech, but also talking about the people at Meraki and also around the businesses and opportunities that are around our business can be built on the Meraki platform to really build new experiences for customers everywhere. This time, we're going to actually have a conversation with a member of our executive team. Denise Thomas is our chief operating officer at Cisco Meraki. She's been with us for a long time and has a wealth of experience across a very broad range of our business and has some fantastic insights to go through with us today. So I think you're going to find this a really interesting and engaging episode to listen to. To take us through that conversation, I'm going to hand things over to Sammy Brenner. Sammy actually helped us with an episode right at the start of the year, uh, which helped us to get into work mode after our holiday shutdown. Uh, so if you haven't heard that episode, I definitely recommend you go back and check that out. But Sammy's going to take us through that conversation. And so I'm going to hand the mic right over to her. Sammy, it's all yours. Awesome. Thank you so much, Simon. It is a pleasure to be back co-hosting the Meraki Unbox podcast. And we have a fantastic guest. I'm super excited that she is joining us today. So let me give you a little introduction. Denise Thomas came to Meraki back in 2012, initially as the HR business partner on the sales team. Then she moved into a chief of staff role. And her most recent role is VP of Operations, a.k.a. our COO. She is a mom of two. And I might like to mention that the two kids are under the age of 10. So she's also a superhero. Welcome to the Meraki Unbox podcast, Denise. Hi, nice to be here. I also like to add that I am Jamaican, which makes me going to be insufferable now that there's somebody that's Jamaican of Jamaican ancestry uh, in the White House. I've been adding that to all my chats lately. I was like, listen, let me tell you one more exciting fact about me. <laughs> wow, that is a fun fact. A must, a know. must know. Yeah. Well, we are thrilled to have you on the Meraki Unbox podcast today. And I know that you were on episode three and now we're on episode 45, which is amazing. So good to have you back. Oh, no. I'm so excited to be here again. It's my Yay. second podcast. Love it. Where has the time gone? I know. Um, well, let's get into it. Let's get into the meat of this and the fun stuff. So I am sure our listeners are curious to know, what is your background? How did you get into tech? What brought you to Meraki? Give us the insight. So before coming to Meraki, I had a whole other career not in tech. And when I left college, I was lucky enough, a friend of mine started an organization in Boston, and I was there for five years, sort of helping young people run this walking tour business, which a lot of people are like, wait, what? Uh, and it was a youth development program called My Town uh, that I started with a friend of mine from college. And we kind of convinced a group of folks that had funded this organization, so a group of venture capitalists basically, to fund non-profit organizations in the same way that they funded for-profit ones, like really believing in the founders and their vision, and then providing them some seed support in order to grow and grow their organization. So at the time, it was at the very beginning of that social entrepreneurship movement, and we were fortunate enough to be a part of that with a lot of other founders building amazing nonprofits that are still in existence today. So I started my career building something, and I feel like that's what I have been about 
And when I came to Meraki, you know, what sold me on Meraki was this idea that we were going to transform how people thought about networking. And we were transforming the networking experience by leveraging the cloud. And I remember when the doors opened during my interview and I saw the energy and the excitement of the folks that were working there, I thought, you know, I really have to be a part of this. I love things that move fast. I love this idea that, you know, we're really changing something. We're really trying to bring something different to the market that enriches users and people's lives. And I guess when I walked through those doors at Meraki, it felt I'd found like my place and my people and was excited to do kind of whatever I could to, to sort of help grow an organization into a market opportunity that just felt really clear to me. I had also spent some time working at a charter school organization called Uncommon Schools out of New York City. And we had this one, a very small IT team. And I watched that very small IT team keep technology up in 30 plus schools at the time. And when I saw what we were building, I couldn't help but think about how much faster Uncommon would get to its goals around um, closing the achievement gap if they could get their hands on uh, technology that was so easy to support. It really touched me from like my personal values perspective, like this idea of making it easier for folks to chase their own missions. And then I also really excited about the people just a great group of mission-focused, energetic, smart, kind, kind folks. Absolutely. Well, now you're speaking my language because I manage a sales team, right, for public sector. So we support schools, cities, counties, higher education institutions. Our technology gets to help these institutions with their one-to-one -one initiatives, and you really see it make a difference and impact these communities. So I absolutely hear you there. And I agree with you. The second I walked into Meraki for my interview, you can feel it, right? The energy in the building was magnetic. The people were amazing. And that's ultimately why I decided to come to Meraki. It was the people. So let's transition a little bit. You, I guess, have a new-ish role. I'll call it new-ish, but you've almost been in the COO role for about a year. Tell us, what does your day look like? Like, what do you do, Denise? Wow. Uh, well, here's what's in my role currently. Um, so I have a great team of folks that are really trained to help Meraki think about how it executes and how it runs, right? Um, and my goal is that when folks come and they spend some time working at Meraki is that we have like a really career defining experience for folks. But like the little piece that we have in operations is that we want folks to walk away from Meraki and saying, hey, I love the way that Meraki was run. I love the way that we worked. I love the way that we collaborated. And so I have this like little secret mission as we continue to like grow and evolve the operations team to really transform the way that we work. So that way we are best in class at execution, right? So my team is composed of a lot of different pieces of that equation. So a, a part of my team is in the digital workplace. So that's IT and facilities. And they're really thinking about, you know, what does the future of work look like? And how do you actually leverage technology in order to enhance and make collaboration more effective, right? Like how do people work and how do we make sure that like the work that they do is well supported? 
I also have a team that's around organizational effectiveness, really taking a step back and saying, well, what do we need in an organization for folks to be able to show up and do their best work? So in that group is onboarding, leader development, change and behavioral management, like really trying to think, you know, what has to shift and what skills do we need in order to be able to get to our business outcomes? I also have inclusion in that book of work, like how to make sure that like as we are growing and as we are helping folks build their career, it is a place that works for all at business systems. And I also have business process and business operations in the team, as well as manufacturing and, and operations. So fulfillment, shipping, demand planning, and just making sure that like if our customers, once you sold something, we have to make sure that the product actually gets to them in a timely fashion. So that is like the group. And it really sits up at the heart of how we get things done at Meraki. So what does my day look like? Um, it looks like a lot of conversations about a lot of meetings, probably a little bit more than I would like. But a lot of the meetings that I have are around sort of cross-functional meetings, like where are we going as an organization? And then how do multiple teams look at a problem to try to, to better offer solutions for our customers and our teams? So I feel like that's how I spend the bulk of my time at work. But my day starts every morning with getting my kids out of bed and getting them to school. And, yes. you know, hopefully somewhere along the line, having like a few words with my husband. So that way we remember what each other looks like as we retreat to our own separate offices. And then the meetings begin. And then the day ends with sort of coming back, trying to figure out what are we going to have for dinner and trying to make sure that everybody gets to bed on time. So that way we're ready to do it all over again. As you said at the beginning, it's a lot of juggling, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. Right. Wow. So it sounds like you're busy. <laughs> you got one or two things going on. Just a few things going on in a few parts of the business. But you know what I really love about my job is that it's a multidisciplinary job, right? Like I, you know, there are moments where I'm having conversations with the IT team and I can say, hey, what you're talking about there is I heard a similar thing in our business systems team. Like, let's go make that connection to make sure that, you know, one of my mantras in leadership and is like, like we're covering as much surface area as we can. Right. So we're not duplicating efforts and we're really sort of, you know, we're working through those adjacencies so that way we can get the best ideas on the table and move it forward quickly for the business. And the same time I'm talking to someone, you know, in business systems and they're talking about, maybe something that they're thinking about from a development perspective for their leaders. And I can connect them to someone in our organizational effectiveness team and say, Hey, there's this thing going on and I've heard it multiple places. Let's think about what a solution could look like for the organization, because I do think it's a pain point. And why don't we go try it out in our business systems team? So I love my job. It's like cross-functional within one team. And we do play such a big part in so many parts of the organization that it's awesome to be able to, you know, help move Meraki forward in a lot of different ways. Right. When I listen to you describe your day and the cross-functional teams you work with and how you have your hands, you know, in so many different parts of the business, I think about something that one of my mentors told me one time. She said, work-life balance is a fallacy. It's a complete fallacy. She said, there are going to be moments and times in your life where family comes first and you got to let your employer know that because you might have something personal going on or a family emergency, whatever it might be. And then there are other times in your career where work is first and foremost, and you get buy-in from your family that 
you are trying to grow your career and that's your priority. Where do you kind of stand on that spectrum? What do you think? I spent some of my career in retail, first as a buyer at the TJX company. So they own TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and the likes, Home Goods. And I remember having an opportunity to meet with the head of our division at the time, which then she went on to become the CEO of the company. And she said, you know, at the time I didn't have any kids, no husband, I didn't have anything like that. And she talked to me about sort of priorities from a you know, her family, you know, and she said, Hey, you know, I have these kids and I have to constantly be thinking about how I prioritize my role in our family and then my role within the business. Right. And both of those things are really important because they mean different things to you at different times. Right. And your, your family is always going to be important to me. And so the words that I carry with me all the time, she said, your family can't fire you. Don't let your family fire you. And I was like, oh, and at the time she was like, yeah, so if my daughter calls me and she has like a crisis, I'm going to have to step out and just try to get a sense of like where that is and how I can help solve for it and then go back to work. And I thought to myself, she's got to be one of the most powerful women in retail at the time. It was a huge business, probably much bigger than, you know, Macy's and the likes at the time. And I thought to myself, are you crazy lady? Like, how are you going to step out of something to deal with like whatever 15 year old trauma your daughter's going through at any given moment in time? You know, and she's like, and then there are times when I have to travel a lot for for work and I go to my family and I say, hey, I have to travel a lot for work and here's what it's going to look like. And here's kind of when you can expect me to be able to be more available to you. And she's like, just keeping the conversation open, not having this expectation that you're going to be able to do everything for everyone all the time. And it's something that I think about often as I try to navigate work and life and the likes is that you'll drive yourself crazy if you try to be everything to everyone all the time. But you can sort of be thoughtfully something to someone and then sort of pause and turn around and be something to someone else and then and then go from there. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, my son just walked in the room because he needed to have something dealt with with his computer. And so now as I'm talking to you, I'm actually also dealing with his computer issue. <laughs> and that's him. Amazing. <laughs> You're IT too. You do it I- all. I'm officially IT in in our house. Oh my gosh. Upgraded our internet connections and now I just solved an IT problem. Could you close the door on your way back out? That'd be amazing. Thank you. This is motherhood and COVID and having a job all at once. All at once. But Carol Meyerwitz said it best. She said, don't let your family fire you. And so I have learned, especially during this period of time in COVID, where my family is basically beside me more times than it has been in the past. And they walk into meetings and they walk into town halls. Like I had a town hall the other day and they walked into an interview once and threw a full on tantrum and I had to kind of pause the interview and deal with whatever it was and then come back at it. I can't be everything to everyone at the same time, but I can surely try to give my focus to one thing and then turn around and give my focus to something else. Yeah, I like that answer a lot. And you know what we found too with our customers in sales? I mean, we're on WebEx all day and in these meetings and things happen, right? Kids walk in the frame, dogs are barking, cats are jumping on the chair. And that's just the human experience that all of us are navigating right now in this virtual world. So I think when that kind of stuff happens, you know, we just laugh with our customers and they understand and they get it and it it makes us humans. It's just what we're dealing with. I want to transition and talk to you about imposter syndrome. 
Dun, dun, dun. And for those of our listeners who are like, what the heck is imposter syndrome? Let me break it down for you. So it can be defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persists despite evident success. Basically, you thinking you don't have a seat at the table, even though you have very well earned that seat at the table. And last year at Meraki, before COVID was a thing, we actually did a panel where we talked about imposter syndrome and it was super, super impactful. And I remember I had just as many pings from women on the sales team as I did men after saying, I had no idea what it was. Thank you for explaining it. We don't talk about it a lot. I think females probably talk about it more than men do. But I think, Denise, the perception might be that the higher you climb in your career, the less and less you feel imposter syndrome. Is that true? No, that would be amazing if it were. Because then I could be like, yes, Sammy, I'm rid of imposter <laughs> syndrome here. Right. I, that would, it would make me nothing happier than be able to say that. I don't think it's true. At least it's not true for me. I can't speak for everyone. I have managed to knit together a career where, you know, a lot of times people are like, okay, you may not necessarily have done this, that, and the other before, but I hear the way that you're thinking about solving problems and I, I hear the way that you're approaching you know, thinking about strategy, and I'd like you to come and try and do this with me. And I've had multiple times when I've kind of wrapped up a job search where that was the conversation I had with the person that was going to be my manager. Even when I came to Meraki, the person at the time, Melissa, who had had a job out on a job board, she's like, you're not exactly what I was looking for when I went to the market for this job. It's not the perfect fit. But I love the way that you're talking about people. I love the ideas that you have and the things that you've done in your past. Like, come do this thing with me. And whenever that's been your career path, and it has allowed me to learn a lot of things in different parts of the business and now have a perspective of a business that is multidisciplinary by experience, right? But every time you kind of come into something new, the imposter syndrome shows up. It says, oh my gosh, have you gone too far this time <laughs> in what you think you're right. capable of doing or what you know or whatever? And over the years, like in the beginning, it was pretty debilitating where I'd go, oh my God, I, maybe I don't, maybe I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. Maybe this was a mistake and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I showed up at my first job out of college being the boss of something. Like somebody gave me some money and said, go build an organization. And like that first day, I was like, what made me think that I thought I could do this thing? Like, that's kind of crazy. But over the years, what I've learned about it is like when I start to hear it, it gives me an opportunity to just pause and say, what do I know? What are the skills, the strengths, um, the perspectives that I'm bringing to the situation that maybe other people are not able to do? How do I lean into that as I go into something that's new and different for me? And then the second thing that I think I do is I listen to the voice and it helps me understand a couple of things. It helps me understand what I'm really afraid of. And then in some instances, it helps me understand what I really want. Because uh, a lot of times when you walk into the situation and it starts, it starts talking to you because it knows you're heading in the direction of something that you really want. And it wants to really protect you from not being able to get that. And so when I hear the voice, I'm like, okay, Denise, this is what you're afraid of in this journey towards this thing that you really want. And when you can pay attention to that, then you can kind of like hit that head on. You can go, okay, I'm really afraid at failing at this, or maybe I'm really afraid at doing this. And then I can kind of talk to myself, well, when's the last time you failed at doing that? And then I can start to have a real conversation. It doesn't go away, 
but it puts me in conversation with my fears and it puts me in conversation more importantly with the things that I want. And as adults, I think we spend a lot more time than kids being afraid of the things that we want. You know, my son has no problem being very close to his wants and desires and having all the emotions that go along with it. And as you get older, you're kind of getting that stuff beat out of you where you're like, what I want is the thing that I can achieve and it becomes what I can do as opposed to what I want. But there's something primal in that thing that you want. The imposter syndrome, really, that little voice that shows up helps me know that I'm on that journey to still be getting, the, like wanting the things that I want. Like I'm still trying to get at those things because, you know, she wouldn't show up if I was doing something that didn't feel important to me. Ooh, I really like that. That stuck out to me. Okay, so I always like to give listeners tangible tools. And I think you shared something really, really powerful just now that when it comes up for you and you start to hear her talking, taking a step back and asking, you know, what do I know? How can I contribute to this conversation or this meeting? Or, you know, they hired me for some reason, right? So stepping back and kind of talking yourself off a ledge. And what am I afraid of? right? Really asking that question. Because when you peel back the layers, it's less scary, right? Yeah. I have a sense of where I'd like my career to go. And I know that when I hear these voices, it's because I'm getting a little bit closer to that place. And I'm trying to protect myself from the possibility that I might not get there. And that's okay. I understand what my mind is trying to do. I understand my mind is trying to like protect my heart. But I think it's only when we kind of step into that fear, we can actually start to begin to step into our greatness. And so, you know, I just try to think of it as it's the little voice that I can use to help step into that greatness because it helps remind me, as you said, about the thing that I'm really afraid of. Yeah, we got to get outside our comfort zone. If you stay in your box, you don't grow. That is 100%. Well, let's transition a little bit. I want to talk about the month of February. It is Black History Month. And Cisco and Meraki have an amazing employee resource group called Connected Black Professionals. And to celebrate Black History Month and support you know, social justice issues and initiatives, Cisco is hosting a ton of virtual events next week, which I'm actually super excited about. Um, one of the guest speakers is Van Jones, who is a CNN political commentator slash, I just am obsessed with him. I think he's amazing. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you know, Meraki has a strong commitment to EROs, which is, stands for Employee Resource Organizations or Employee Resource Groups. And we have a strong commitment to growing a diverse culture. And you kind of hit on this earlier, right, that inclusion and diversity fall under your bucket. So, Denise, why is this so important to our DNA as a company? I think when we look at Cisco's mission, you know, building for an empowering, a inclusive future for all, it's important because it's kind of what we've put our stake in the ground as, as a company to sort of say, hey, we know that technology can either exclude or include, and we want to be a part of this conversation, or we want to be able to provide the tools and the systems that allow more people to be able to be included, more people to be able to achieve their best lives and their best work, right? It's a part of our corporate mission which makes it kind of exciting to be a part of Cisco. But why I think it's important to our business at Meraki is that our customers have a host of things that they're trying to do. And they have a host of challenges that they're trying to solve for. 
And I think when you get in a space where you're really trying to help as many customers as possible achieve the mission or the work that they're trying to do, like having folks on board that have different experiences, different perspectives, have walked different journeys in life, that's going to make you better suited to sort of approach those challenges that your customers have or the or that work that they have or the use cases that they're trying to solve for more effectively. You know, you have all of these examples where you didn't have a diverse team and product went out the door that didn't take into consideration just something as small as are you right-handed or are you left-handed, right? So I think about it all the time in sort of saying, what are the ideas that we're leaving behind on the table? Because we don't have enough broad experience. We don't have different perspectives. We don't have different walks of life in our business. Like, what are we leaving behind? Because we don't have that. So I think that is the business imperative, I think. And it's a data-driven business imperative, right? Like they have all of this data around the efficacy of diverse teams to profitability, to growth, get on the internet and look, like there's tons of data that supports that. And then I fund like I also fundamentally believe that genius knows no zip code. And so if genius knows no zip code or no ethnicity or orientation or gender or whatever, then if I don't have a team that's highly representative, what I know is that I have left genius behind. I don't have a best team though. And for me, there's like some of it is a moral imperative and then some of it is around sort of business and being a better business partner to your customers. And then some of it is just like, even if you are a person that can't get around those two first things that I talked about, the third one is just about math. Like if genius has no zip code and your entire team looks exactly the same, then somewhere in that team, you have someone that is holding a seat for someone that could be a genius and you haven't invited them on your team. So there's like a third part of it that's like purely just math. If for some reason you can't get around the moral imperative, the, you know, the business data and outcomes that we have from a research perspective, like most people can get around math. Right. <laughs> the third one will win everyone over, if not well, the first I'm two. Hoping. I'm like, yes. If you don't want the third one, then I'm like, well, you're not a person that believes in math and I don't know, like at that point I'm like, uh, I don't know right. what to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had never heard that before. Genius knows no zip code. Can I steal that from you? I mean, you got to steal it from whoever put that on the internet. <laughs> okay, cool. Trademark. Yeah. So to kind of continue this conversation, I mean, we talk about this all the time with our recruiting team at Meraki, right? In, in terms of the kind of candidates we want to bring in the door and keeping diversity and inclusion at the forefront, because we know personally as people leaders, when our teams look different and there is diverse thought, we are more productive and we are more successful, period. But help us understand for those people listening, I mean, what conversations are you having at the executive leadership level to continue to make these sort of EROs a priority? There's two things. I think a lot of times when people think about diversity, they think about attract, like they think about recruiting. They're like, okay, well, if I have some opportunities where diversity is concerned, I'm going to recruit myself out of those opportunities. I'm going to just go to the market and find folks and then be done with my, and then be like this, all my inclusion and, and diversity work is done. But those of us that have been asked to have a leadership role in that work know that isn't true. Attraction is just the beginning of the journey. 
the real journey is around kind of how people feel when they land in your organization. Do they feel respected? Do they feel heard? Do they feel like their ideas are taken seriously? Do they feel like they have an opportunity to bring more of themselves to work? Do they feel like they can fully contribute? That work, that is work that organizations and businesses really struggle with. If this was purely an attract motion, I think we would have success where diversity and inclusion is concerned. But inclusion really does take, it is activity across the entire organization in order to create that kind of workspace where people feel like they can truly be their best. So we spend a lot of time as a senior leadership team thinking about that. Like, how are we creating an environment that allows people to bring more of themselves to work? And the EROs are obviously a part of that conversation by being able to say, you know, help us understand the experiences that folks are having in the organization. And we've done like ERO listening tours. We meet with our EROs now on a quarterly basis to kind of hear from employees on what their experiences are like at Meraki. But, you know, our leaders are part of that as well. So how do our leaders know how to create environments that build, that are high trust environments? How are they making folks feel like they can bring that, you know, what they might be afraid of or like, maybe is this idea good or not a good idea? They can kind of bring that into a team environment. So this quarter we're launching a conversation around inclusive behaviors and starting to embed, well, what does inclusion look like when you are acting? Like, what does that look like when you're acting as an ally in other ways, right? So helping our leaders lead conversations with their teams around creating more inclusive spaces for employees. And then I think there is a part, obviously, that everybody in the organization plays. How is inclusion reflected in your values? Like we're really lucky at Meraki that we have a value of everybody in. And that really helps drive at the core of who we are and what we reward and what our culture looks like. There's a piece of our culture that is about making sure that more voices are heard, that more people are brought to the table. So the EROs are part of the strategy because I think it's important to get, you know, for an organization to have a constant loop of feedback. And they also are amazing and sort of attracting talent. Like they're a core part of the strategy, but as a member of an ERO, as a member of, you know, a group of folks that tends to be underselected in an organization and in tech, it's not that group of folks that like hold responsibility for inclusion and diversity within an organization. It's the entire ecosystem and we all have different roles to play. Yeah, absolutely. And as an employee of this company, it's so important for me to hear you and our senior leadership talk about these kind of things and to know that we're being very intentional and we're being very conscious. And I'm excited to hear more about the inclusive behaviors and the stuff that we're working on because it is going to make us more attractive, right, to a bigger candidate pool. And people are going to want to stay at a company where they can really feel like they can show up and be their authentic self, right? That's the best part about going to work. If you can be you, you produce better results. So it's good to hear that, you know, we're thinking that way. So I if we're think about our evil, oh, go ahead. beyond thinking, and I think you have to move to action. Like when I joined Meraki Senior Leadership Team, I was the only woman. And now, you know, we're three women on senior staff and four, um, if you include our PNC partner. And that is not an insignificant 
shift within an organization and it didn't just happen. Like when openings happened in the organization, we made sure that we had diverse interview slates. We had diverse interview panels. We worked with our recruiters to make sure that we were advertising the the roles across a, a broad spectrum of networks. I think, Sammy, it's beyond just like talking about it, but we have to kind of move to action in really meaningful ways, which I think what we have in front of us too is Cisco has like a social justice platform that they put out in the world. And, you know, they're like, we're going to go beyond talk and we're going to go to like real outcomes. And, and here's kind of what they look like for us. So I did want to make that point that like, it's beyond talking, like we actually have to then go and do something, which is far more important to me. Yes, absolutely. And I love hearing that more of the senior staff is now women girl power all day long. That makes me very happy to hear. And Cisco does put their money where their mouth is. That is why I am still at this organization because you're right. It absolutely goes beyond where just saying it. Um, there is action. You know, speaking of Cisco, I want to transition to the last question here and then we can wrap up. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. <clears throat> you know, it's no surprise that the past year has been heavy, right? It's been extremely heavy between the pandemic and social justice issues. I don't think anyone was prepared for what 2020 had in store for us. But I will say that I'm super proud to work for Cisco and my commitment to this organization, I think has grown even stronger since the pandemic, since Black Lives Matter, what happened last summer with George Floyd and Chuck, our CEO, right, coming out and really not picking a middle lane and standing firm in his conviction and helping us, you know, navigate and adapt and set clear guidelines and guidance in a time which felt chaotic, right? And like we were in crisis a bit. So let me ask, as a leader at Meraki, how have you grown and adapted over the past year? I have to admit it has been a hard year. And it was a hard year going into all of that, you know, pandemic and like 2020 to begin with. Like, I think as I was heading into like the end part of 2019, I had started to kind of feel like the weight of navigating corporate environments for a really long time, like always feeling like, oh, am I the only person that looks like me in a room? It was interesting because I feel like I was already starting to like pull at a thread of what am I doing here? Like, what is important to me professionally? Like, it was already feeling really hard. I, you know, I was lucky, and I have been lucky during the course of my time at Meraki, but I was lucky to have the type of relationship that I had with my boss at the time to be able to go to him and say, he's like, what's going on with you? You know, I had a relationship with someone that I could go to them and say, this is what's going on with me. Like, it has nothing to do with Meraki, but it, it has to do with like 20 plus years being in the workforce and kind of beginning to feel the weight of the hardness of the navigation. Sometimes when you're not represented or you don't feel, you know, you don't always feel like you belong. He was super supportive. And then 2020 hit. So I feel like I went into 2020 with a little bit of the thread pulled. And then by the time we got in it, it really did feel very hard. But at the same time, I do think that what the last year has shown between George Floyd and really throwing the doors open in a national conversation, an international conversation, actually, around inequity and race and the life-threatening impact of disparity and injustice, it was almost in a weird way somewhat 
freeing, right? Like the conversations that I wanted to happen were now going to happen by virtue of how raw a society or a team or a company actually felt in the face of all of these broad social changes and societal conversations. You know, I remember in February or something, there was like a Black History Month conversation last February that Todd and I were in together. And and I think I said the words were like, I can't control what happens outside the doors of Meraki. What I can try to do is make what we're doing on the, this side of the doors fair and equitable and inclusive and all of those things. But even in that statement, there was this understanding of something that we could leave behind, like on the other side of those doors. And I think last year really blew that theory out for me. I think that was the thing that was making it so hard to navigate and feeling so hard to be in these spaces that don't always look as representative as they should be, is that I kept on thinking like I could solve for it within an organization and I didn't have to think about what was going on outside in the world. And that is just a false choice, right? Like that was the thing. I was leaving something outside when I came in the building and that leaving outside actually made it much harder to navigate inside the building. So I think 2020 was hard. It brought me to a new level of vulnerability at work. I had conversations that I never would have had before. It invited me to bring more of myself to work because it got just a little too hard to compartmentalize my life in a way that was good for me. It made it so that way I wasn't a mom in quiet. Like I wasn't a super mom. I was a mom that had kids that were going to interrupt her meeting. And I was a mom that had Subway for dinner because I couldn't think about what to make for lunch the next day. Like, and that was okay. I didn't have to be perfect at momming as a part of being an exec at work. So it was hard, but it finally felt freeing almost to sort of be like, yeah, all of this is hard and all of this isn't perfect. And this is all of me. And, you know, I'm black, I'm an immigrant, I'm a mom, uh, I'm a woman, you know, I have all of these things. And that's what, when I go to work and I bring my ideas, my ideas are coming from the experience that has all of that in it. So why wouldn't I bring all of that to work? And so I do think that it's different, but not different in a bad way. And I think that level of vulnerability within an organization has been better. I've had better conversations with my team members. I've had more thoughtful conversations with my own team when I sit on stories, uh, leadership team. I think if we can hold on to the vulnerability and we can hold on to the conversation and the commitment, we will build better businesses and you know a better society uh, for having done so. Beautifully said. I think that's the perfect place to tie it off. Denise, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your vulnerability. I think there's a lot to say about leaders who can open up and speak freely like this and show their employees it's okay to be vulnerable in the workplace and bring your whole self to work. So it's no surprise to me that your team loves working with you. So thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure and a, and a beautiful conversation today. Well, I'll see you in 43 more podcasts, maybe. <laughs> Perfect. That's how we're pacing at this point. So. <laughs> no, you know I'll bother you before 43 podcasts. <laughs> Thank you again. And Simon, I'm going to go ahead and toss it back to you. Thank you so much, Sammy. That was incredible. I don't, like you said, Sammy, I don't want to wait another 43 episodes for this much 
awesomeness in one episode. We've covered so many topics there. That was amazing. I was here pretty breathless listening to the breadth of topics that were covered in that time. Denise, it's always amazing having you on because there's the thoughtfulness of your responses are just next level. So thank you so much again. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. And uh, Sammy, awesome job. Thank you very much for taking us through that conversation. Can't wait to have you back on the show again very soon. As for everybody who's joined us to listen to this, I hope you really got something valuable and useful out of this. Uh, you know, it's amazing to walk through the different experiences we have in the workplace. And I am no doubt that at least some of the conversation we've heard today will have resonated with all of you. Uh, we've all been going through all kinds of crazy experiences. There are just so many stories out there. So obviously very grateful to Denise for sharing hers so thoroughly and really fantastic to have you along listening to this as well. As I say every single time, we would love to have you involved in this podcast, and there are easy ways for you to do that. Uh, you can submit an idea. Just ping me on Twitter, at Meraki Simon. Send an idea for something you'd like us to cover. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast yourself, that's also something I would love to welcome. We had a guest from an external business based around Meraki technology uh, last time around, and that was a great episode. Uh, so go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. And, you know, if you have any ideas yourself or any ideas we could cover during the podcast, would love to hear from you. Once again, reach out to me on Twitter at Meraki Simon. Would love to have you aboard. And with that, we'll hang things up for today. Thanks again to everybody who's taken part and for all of you for listening. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye for now.